Well, hello again. I'm Tony Payne. And I'm Philip Jensen. And welcome to another edition of Two Ways News. Great to be talking with you again, Philip. You were away speaking over the weekend. It's been a great time up in the Central Plains Convention, up at Dubbo, and a fantastic time meeting people from all kinds of churches, travelling hundreds of miles to actually have the opportunity of hearing the Bible being taught. It's, uh, there's some lovely, fine Christian people out in some of these very small and medium-sized country towns of New South Wales. Absolutely. I was, I was in Albury doing much the same weekend before last, I think it was, and had a similarly encouraging time with the brothers down there at the Albury Men's Convention. It was, it was great a, stuff. A, a higher level of appreciation, I think, than those of us who live in the city and have lots of opportunities. Yeah, I think that's true. I think it's true. Mm. And speaking of appreciation, here's a segue. Our topic today is not feeling like you're appreciating things very much. It's funny, over the last few weeks, uh, or months really, both in emails and messages I've gotten in response to our various editions, and also just with a bunch of friends from different places, I've just had a rash of conversations recently with people who feel unhappy in church. And so I thought it'd be good today to talk through, in a sense, how do you work out and cope with feeling unhappy in the church that you're in? How do you kind of diagnose what's going on in yourself and in your church and work out what the wise and godly way to respond to feeling unhappy in church. So the title I was going to give to today's episode was How to Be Unhappy in Church. Okay. Well, I don't know we want to teach people how to be unhappy, but I may lack a bit of sympathy in a sense in that I've never been unhappy in church myself. Well, that was also partly my response as well. Certainly kind of 95% of my church life, I, I look back on a great deal of joy and happiness and not very much unhappiness at all. But is is the reason you've never been unhappy in church is because you've always been leading the church and so it's always been just the way you want? No, it's because I'm just not an unhappy person. Of course, of course. <laughs> well, well you, know, you know, the feeling, I mean, it's, it's like this sign that's going up in lots of churches at the moment that everybody has a right to feel safe. And I think that's a nonsense. Uh, no one has the right to feel safe. Everybody should be safe. <laughs> I mean, the idea that you wouldn't be safe in church is dreadful. I mean, everybody should be safe. But whether you feel safe or not is about your psychological disposition. There are some people who don't feel safe anywhere, ever. I've got a couple of friends who actually never leave home. They feel unsafe going outside their door. The right to feel safe, I think that's a nonsense way of saying it. What's well, one of the issues we'll have to talk about, I think, in terms of how we understand ourselves and our circumstances and how what is this feeling that we might ha- be having, whether it's a feeling of disengagement or disillusionment, a feeling of unhappiness, a feeling of, of nothing being the way we want it to be or whatever it might be. And I thought what we might do is I've roughed out 10 kind of points or 10 little mini diagnosis kind of steps to go through to think through what's going on when we're feeling disengaged or dissatisfied in some way in our churches and how we might respond to it. In okay, let's go through the ten of them, let's, shall we? Let's give it a go and see what happens. The first one I've, I've noted down is be ready for it. Because although you're saying, Philip, you're generally a happy person and you don't get unhappy, and I would have to say I've rarely been unhappy and dissatisfied in the churches I've been in. Perhaps I've been very blessed in the churches I've been in. It is inevitable, though, that there are problems in churches. And even if I just think about the New Testament, I mean, maybe being in the church, maybe being a member of the Corinthian church, I'd imagine there'd be 
plenty of opportunities to feel disillusioned, unhappy, dissatisfied, and generally miserable at different points? Well, certainly you would be dissatisfied. It's, it's just... It's the feel word, I think, which irritates sure, me in okay. a sense. Because, yes, you should be dissatisfied, but you will be dissatisfied in church if you're expecting church to be perfect. I mean, we talk about the heavenly church of which we're part, but we've not arrived yet. We're in progress. So, therefore, you've got to expect there's going to be problems. To think that you'll be in a church without problems, well... When you're dead, there will be. But prior to that, there'll always be problems. And there'll always, almost always be things that you disagree with at some level, whether as a matter of preference or maybe more of a matter of conviction or opinion. There'll be approaches that you think are different and that you're not sure are the, are the best ones. There'll be choices that are made that you think weren't the best ones. There'll be all sorts of things because church is, a, is made up of saved sinners You've just got to, we've got to expect that at some level, some degree of dissatisfaction on happiness will inevitably come up in church life. Yes, that's absolutely. my first point. Well, I think that's right. And if you've got bad expectations, you'll be disappointed. But if you've got realistic expectations, then they'll be fulfilled. <laughs> they will. Okay, let's go on to the second point. And this next, these next few points are really about some of the things that might be wrong in church or might be bugging you and how to respond. So, for example, it might be because... You've had a dispute or falling out with somebody else, some difference of opinion that's become personal, some offence or misunderstanding that has led to heated words, some kind of disagreement about something or other. That can lead to a real sense of, of unhappiness. I'm not enjoying being here. Every time I go there, I think of this person. They're sitting over the other side of the room. If that's the issue, I, I think it's a, a reasonably clear response. It's kind of a Euodia and, and Sintiki Yes, Exhort them to agree with each other. It's a biblical problem, isn't it? Because you've got your idea in Syntyche, but you've also got Paul and Barnabas disagreeing about Mark John. Disagreements between people happen and will happen. So get over it. Mm. And resolve it. Um, when you can. Yes. Sometimes you can't. See, 1 Corinthians 7 verse 10. You know, if you can't live together, talk about husbands and wives, then live separately. There is a sense in which some disputes are not resolvable in this world, in this period of time. And to expect to be able to resolve every dispute, I think, is a recipe for disappointment. And so resolve the dispute if it's resolvable. Yep. Do all that you can to seek reconciliation. Yep. But perhaps you might have to end up living with a degree of non-resolved tension. Yes, that's right. Third thing I was going to say, third point is, is it a small thing? Is the thing that you're disagreeing with someone about or unhappy about or in some way quarrelling about or feeling dissatisfied about, does it fall into that category of things that, that Paul warns about on numerous occasions? Don't quarrel about words. Don't get bogged down in controversies about foolish things, about genealogies, he says, or quarrels about the law. Is it a... Is it one of those silly fights? Yeah, 1 Corinthians 4, uh, sorry, Romans 14 is about it. You see, I'm a teetotaler. I've always been a teetotaler. I think the abuse of alcohol in Australia is appalling and the encouragement to drink uh, is, is even worse and our governments are guilty in this and the rest. But hey, the Bible doesn't say that alcohol is a wrong thing or drinking is sinful. In fact, just the reverse. And so here is something that I hold as an important social policy but in terms of Christian fellowship and life, it's really unimportant. One man and drinks alcohol, another man doesn't. Each is answerable to God in this, and to his Lord in this. And it's not for me to criticise you because you drink wine any more than you should be criticising me because I choose not to. 
Now, you're raising the, the issue of Christian liberty in a sense here, and this is important. I think we'll come back to that mm-hmm. in just a moment. But number three is if it's a small thing, a thing not to be fought about, don't fight about it. Yeah, exactly. Number four, though, is it something that contravenes what the Bible is saying? Is this issue actually about something that the Bible teaches about, that the Bible is quite clear about? Is it, in other words, a question of wrong or false biblical teaching? If that's the case, then it depends a little bit on your position in in the congregation, I suppose. If you're one of the elders or teachers or overseers of the congregation, then you're in a real position to influence and change things quite explicitly, they'll then do so. If you're not, then depending on your position and the circumstances, I would say it's important still to chase down exactly what's being said, make sure you've clarified the issue, and express your view in a, in a gracious, godly, clear way. Um, and if you get nowhere and you don't see any possibility of change and this false teaching is going to continue, then your place in that congregation starts to become difficult. Yes, and again, it's, it's situational is, is difficult here, isn't it? That is, as iron sharpens uh, iron, so one man sharpens another. There's a sense in which when the prophet speaks, the rest of the church needs to weigh what is being said. Yeah. One false exposition, one false exegesis of a text doesn't qualify a church that is into false teaching. Paul tells Timothy that he must show his progress in life and in teaching. So there'll always be mistakes, theological expositional biblical mistakes in church. Go back to our first point, expect church to be imperfect and expect us to make mistakes. Yeah, the preacher will get it wrong sometimes. And it's a great thing when next time you come to the passage, you get it right. (laughs) There is improvement. We're on our way. So you can be over finicky even on this. Mm. But if the standard teaching and continuous teaching and position of the church is contrary to the word of God, then yes, you really do need to take action. Because if it becomes the kind of church where not only are you being taught what is not the gospel or what is not the biblical teaching, but it means everybody else is, and anybody that you'd want to bring to that church would be as well. If you get to that point, so I couldn't bring someone here to hear this, this wouldn't be helpful. Well, then you've got to wonder why you're continuing to support and have fellowship in that place, I suspect. That's right. And you can speak to people. Uh, You can speak twice, you can speak three times, but there comes a point at which you say they are determined in their view, as I am in mine, and we really can't fellowship. So at point four we're talking about, if it's about a real matter of biblical teaching of the gospel, then work out if that's the case and take the kind of action we're talking about. The fifth point, though, is what if it's not about a matter of clear biblical teaching? What if it's about one of those issues of liberty that might be influenced by or shaped by our theological views and by what the Bible teaches, but is not a direct clear teaching or contravening a direct clear teaching of Scripture? Um, It might be, for example, let's say that the nature of the music is heading in a direction that you find difficult or you think is theologically perhaps misguided, is kind of heading down a wrong track or it's some other kind of, maybe it's the philosophy or model of ministry that's being done and you feel like it has unhelpful aspects or it's missing something or it's losing some biblical emphases and so on. Then when it's that kind of issue, 
I'm much more inclined to say, uh, unless it becomes intolerable, and we'll talk about that a little bit further on, that we've got to leave each other the liberty, have discussions with each other and talk about these things, but understand the liberty that we each have to think our way from the Bible towards what we need to do. Yes, it's, uh, this is more difficult. In one sense, it's easier. You stay and fight it out. Um, it, it's not a question of leaving. Another is slightly more difficult because most people think their theology that they've derived from the Scripture has the same authority as the Scripture. There's a whole range of things that we take almost for granted because we think it's based on the Bible. So you take baptism. That's an easier one to pick on. There is no statement in the Bible as to the how young a person can or cannot be to be baptised. It's just not there. You can have a theology of baptism that would include children. You can have a theology of baptism that would exclude children from baptism. But you actually can't find a passage which will tell you because the age of baptism is not the essence of baptism. Uh, The essence of baptism has to do with repentance. And you can say, well, a child can't repent at this age or parents can't repent for children. Or, But all those are decisions you have made that have been drawn from your theological position. They're not explicit in the scriptures. But most people hold very strongly to what the Bible doesn't say. Sometimes they hold stronger to what the Bible doesn't say than they actually hold to what the Bible does say. And we need to be careful in that regard. See, the Bible doesn't say... You should not drink alcohol. The Bible does say that God has made wine to make glad the heart of man. I mustn't hold to my strongly held convictions about the evils of alcohol use in Australia to give it a theological view, which in some ways, I need to challenge people and say, you know, is this helpful? And when they say, yes, we think it is, we disagree. And very often, when you say it's a matter of wisdom, uh, a matter of thinking from the Bible out and deliberating about the circumstances we're in and seeing how biblical wisdom frames and shapes what we should be doing, very often when, when you say, for example, I think this particular mode of music that's being used here, to take one example, is not wise and is not helpful for these reasons... And you can have that discussion and debate, and you can disagree about that, because you're talking about the application of principle to a particular practical circumstance. And well, I guess what we're saying is be part of that conversation, contribute to it, be gracious, be loving, be godly, uh, listen carefully to the other people and what they think, Work, try and work it through together. But it's not the kind of clear biblical teaching issue where you'd have to say, I can't be part of this church anymore. And most usually the best response is to put your head down and grit your teeth and be gracious and just get on with ministry together. Yes. If you're irritated by the music that's being played, one of the questions you've got to ask is, am I irritated or am I irritable? Well, that leads <laughs> me on to my next point, actually. Okay. Number six. Because number six Tony's is, number six. Yeah, yes. is the, thing, is the next thing you really must think about is, it, is the problem me? So is the problem not out there, but the problem more in here? And that can be all kinds of problems that are in here. Is it that I am just a, an irritable person, a person who, who gets riled easily? Or... When he says in here, he's pointing to his own heart. Just, <laughs> this is not a visual podcast, I just want to point out. Not here in this room. No, no, no. I, let me put it in other terms. It could be, Philip, the, the problem could be you. It could be that you're the problem. <laughs> 
Yes. <laughs> yes. Really could. No, be. what we're talking about is that it's possible, of course, to have a, a grumbling, fault finding kind of spirit. Um, Philippians 2 tells us don't grumble. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Uh, sometimes it can be just that critical spirit that some of us are afflicted by. Um, sometimes it can be things that are just going on in our lives that make us hypersensitive, make us hypercritical, make us more easily dissatisfied. Those things that are going on in our lives can sometimes be just personal struggles and the frailties and fragilities of our lives. It can be mental health things that are happening for us. Or sometimes it can be sin in our own lives that that is affecting us and that leads us to kind of project our failings out onto other people. There's all kinds of ways in which an unhappiness about church and a dissatisfaction can be our own problem. Yes, quite so, quite so. It's always easier to blame other people than to blame yourself. I mean, you take the music. We all have taste and preference in music. It's very rare to have someone who loves every form of music. And sometimes the the music we like has to do with what we were raised with or what we chose to listen to in our early 20s. That tends to stick with us as a mode of music. And so, especially with church, when I first converted and these were the songs that we sang in that period of time, they become very emotionally important to me. And when church moves on to not just new songs but completely different kind of songs... It's easy for me to feel, oh, they're not singing the right songs anymore. Not, these these aren't my songs. But get over yourself. It's biblical advice, get over yourself. There's a verse there somewhere. I'm there, sure Philip? there it is says, somewhere. Get yes. over yourself, get yeah. over thyself. Yes. Um, it's, it's interesting. I think that can happen in different ways for people. Um, if you've got, and we're talking about music, let's say you have more elevated musical taste. Let's say you're a real musician. Let's say you've, you've delved into music a great deal. You've spent your life in music. You've developed a rich taste of all the different kinds of music there are in the world. And you come to church and think, oh, this is so simplistic. Crash. It's so just, it's just chocolate box kind of lyrics with kind of third rate sentimental music. And you kind of, from your cultural critic viewpoint or whatever form of music, you, you kind of, it's folk music. It's very popular, common denominator kind of music. The mistake there can be not just that sense of wanting to feel superior and judge everybody else and, and reinforce my own superiority, but also can be a matter of not understanding what the purpose of the music is. The purpose of the music is to be folk music. It's to be easy music for everyone to sing and so mm. on and so forth. So um, I, remember, I remember once, I can't remember which great Christian author it was who was this kind of person, highly lyrically, poetically and musically kind of developed and... and would come to church and describe the the church singing as fourth rate poetry set to fifth rate music, um, <laughs> but then looked around himself and said he saw the people around him throwing themselves into this music and singing with all their hearts to their Lord and was ashamed of himself. Yeah, because they're fourth rate people that he's hanging around. That's with. right, <laughs> and that's exactly it. That's one of the wonders of church that it it involves fourth rate people like you and me that those who are of no significance and importance and who have got no great skills have been saved by the blessed work of the Lord Jesus Christ and are welcomed into the family. You need to say it the other way as well, though, Tony, don't you? That is, there are people who are so committed to folk music and to the, the simple and immediately enjoyable cultural music of the day 
that the great pieces of music of, of a different century, you know, the, the Handels and the Bach, they have a negative reaction to, which is, you know... A, a sort of a reverse cultural snobbery, isn't it? Yes, that's yeah, right. Yeah. And that's just as bad. Mm, indeed. Yeah, um, it's because, just a, it's the inverse of it. Yes, but there are... You mentioned lyrics, and I think lyrics is slightly different to music in that, for example, we, we shouldn't be singing in Latin... We've got to sing in the, whatever the language of the people is. And now, that is biblical because 1 Corinthians 14 is talking about that our singing must be in comprehensible language. And so there are certain things yes. like those lyrics. And then also, it is very possible to have heresy in the lyrics. Indeed. Um, now, heresy in the lyrics, Latin or whatever in the lyrics, that's clear. But then there's others which... Well, it's not heresy, it's just fairly meaningless. Banal, perhaps, or um, or a bit sort of bland uh, as opposed to heresy. Yes, all right. <laughs> <laughs> and that can be the case. We've strayed a little bit off our point, okay. which number six okay. was, is it really, is the problem really internal? Have a, have a look in the mirror is one of the things to do when, when you're yes. feeling unhappy. Yes, and the people around me are loving singing these hymns. It's not my choice of music, but I haven't gone to a concert. Mm. I've gone to participate. I've gone to church. I've gone to be with brothers and sisters. If they love this music, I better learn to love it too. Yeah. Um, this that relates to the next point. I think we're up to seven. I think we're up to seven. Um, and that is to do with, with the search, in a sense, for happiness. Happiness is one of those elusive... We certainly don't go to church in order to pursue our own happiness. And happiness is one of those strange things. The more you look for it, the more it tends to slip between your fingers. Uh, a little bit like love in some ways. Um, in other words, if you're looking for happiness or making happiness and satisfaction the barometer by which I, I judge my participation in church, you're kind of setting yourself up for a problem to start with. Yeah, I'm just trying to think where in the New Testament church has got anything necessarily to do with being happy. It may be there, but I can't think that that's a reason for going to church or an expectation of church. And it's kind of is sort of the reverse of, of what the expectation is for church, that I go to church I want to see other people satisfied. I want to love other people, not to go to feel loved. I, I want to contribute and think of the other rather than myself. And it's not any true of church life. It's true of life more generally, that the more you seek these things desperately, the more they elude you. Um, and I would often say to people who are feeling, for example, if you're feeling a bit unloved in church, try loving people. Yep, and that's the way. all of a sudden you'll f you'll feel the love. All yeah. of a sudden you'll realise what rich relationships really are. Or, or if you're more blessed to give than to receive. Talking of money, but mm. it's true of love too. If yeah. if I spend my time loving, I'm I'm better off than if I'm just receiving love. And as a byproduct, you do tend to receive more love if you are giving it away. Al Stewart used to love to tell the story of chatting with someone who'd been at the church for six months or so and came and talked to him and said, listen, I've, I've been at this church for six months and I just, it really is a very unfriendly place. And I just, I'm not feeling like I'm connecting with anybody. And uh, people are just so unfriendly. And Al said to this person with a twinkle in his eye, as he often does, gee, I'm really sorry to hear that. Do you mean to say you've been inviting people to your place for lunch for the last six months and they've all refused to come? <laughs> yeah, which kind of says it all. So number seven, don't don't think the church is about happiness, or don't look too hard for happiness. In fact, be a positive contributor, not an armchair kind of critic. 
Um, number eight, though, let's let's assume that you've worked through a lot of these kind of points. Uh, and there's something that's going on in church that you really find difficult or you don't agree with. Um, one of the questions I want to ask at this point is, is it something that you have personal responsibility for or not? Um, because within congregational life, people have oversight, people are, have, a, have a role to shepherd the flock and to make some decisions for the flock. And um, there's a real sense in which we're all a, a body together and we all make our contribution to those discussions. But in the end, if something's not ultimately my responsibility to make a decision, I've got to leave it to the people whose responsibility it is and uh, entrust that to God and know that everything that we do will ultimately only be seen and judged and be accounted for on that day, the day when, when God assesses all our works and that kind of 1 Corinthians 3, 1 Corinthians 4 kind of picture. So... Be gracious, make your contributions, send send nice emails, not on Sunday night or Monday morning. Wait a few days, leave it in the in the drafts and send an, a, an email about the thing you're concerned about and have a conversation about the thing that you might be disagreeing about or have a different view about. But remember that um, the leaders of, of our churches are the ones responsible to make those decisions in the end and will we'll bear the consequences, as it were. Two things I disagree with you there. One is... Don't ever send a negative email. Ah, true. If it's negative... Go and do it in person. Go and do it in person. Yeah, good point. Uh, And the second is not such a disagreement, but um, having been involved in leadership in umpteen situations, you mustn't think that no one criticises the leader. (laughs) Part of leadership is coping with the consistent criticisms that are coming all the time. And so try and find ways that are positive to help the person rather than saying the negative. So you, you, you really are finding the preaching is not quite up to scratch. Well, say to them, say to the preacher, what are you preaching on next week? Because I want to be praying for you about that passage and be reading through. And try and engage in finding the positive thing next week to say oh I'm glad you told me about verse 7 because I struggled with that during the week and now I see because the more you interact positively engaging the more the preacher will find preparing for you will be better and easier yep good point number nine you're up to Tony number nine given all of the above I've got here, have a bias towards staying. So if you're feeling unhappy and you've worked through a bunch of different things and you're deeply dissatisfied with certain things and you're struggling, have a bias towards staying. That is, the church and the relationships that are there are very important and other people rely on you more than you think as part of the body of Christ. And the relationships and the mutual encouragement of the body of people you're part of are almost always more significant and lasting and powerful than whatever short-term change in style or model or particular issue that you're particularly upset about. And so at one level, I want to say, have a bias towards staying and towards continuing to serve the relationships and the ministries that you're involved in with people in the congregation you're in. But then there's also such a thing as taking loyalty too far. Yes, that's right. That's right. There's two problems we see in church life broadly, especially in a city. That is the church hoppers. They just keep changing church, changing church. Over every little thing. Over every little thing. And uh, following the latest fad and fashion as to whether the, the churches are growing now. And, and the other are the people who 
out of false sense of loyalty. You know, my grandfather was an Anglican and my great-grandfather was an Anglican, therefore I'll always be an Anglican. Well, that's daft. Um, your commitments to the Lord Jesus Christ and the proclamation of the gospel, your commitment should be, as you were saying, to the congregation you're in, but to, to stay you know, a Methodist because we've always been a Methodist family or Presbyterians because we're Scottish or something, that really, I think, is a long way away from the gospel of Jesus. Or to stay in a church where, where really the gospel has gone, yeah. I mean, an individual congregation where things have reached a dire point, it's time sometimes just to go. Yeah. Uh, and that kind of brings us to the final point. When is it time to go? When do you know it's time to leave? At, at one level, when we're talking about things that we were just discussing, where where there's false teaching or things have reached a fairly significant point, if it gets to a point where in good conscience you couldn't ask a friend to come with you to church and join this church, or if you feel you're you're looking at the people around you you love and the damage that is being done to them by wrong teaching and wrong practice, and you really feel like saying, really, you'd be better off elsewhere, then you've probably reached the time when it's time for you to go as well. So at one level, if you can't in good conscience ask someone to come with you or you don't want to invite people to your congregation, that might be an indication that it's time. Yeah, that's not a bad litmus test. I, I remember speaking to some people who want to stay in the church because they were teaching Sunday school. And they, we've got this great opportunity. And I said, what's the youth fellowship like? They said, oh, terrible. They don't believe the gospel. They speak against Jesus. And I said, well, what's the point of getting children through Sunday school to hand them on to youth group leaders who are going to mislead them? I said, wouldn't it be better to try and persuade either the church to change youth group leaders, but if that can't be done, then persuade families not to send their children to this church? Mm, indeed. But I guess the other side of this is that if it isn't a matter of false teaching, of the gospel being lost, where you just are at that point where you couldn't in good conscience ask someone, there still may come a time when the particular issues, whether it's to do with where you are at personally and your own personal difficulties and the particular decisions that have been made by the congregation are such that you just can't resolve the differences and it's emotionally very difficult week by week to be there and that doesn't lessen and doesn't go away, and your joy and ability to keep contributing and loving other people is constantly being undermined by this issue that you can't let go of, it's not a sin to go and be involved in a different congregation. It's not a sin to say, I'm just finding it too difficult here. I'm being a, I'm being a thorn in everyone's flesh here, and, and it, it's not helping me either. That to say, well... Pray to God that he would give you another opportunity and open up another congregation to join where you can contribute more positively. That's not a bad thing either. In other words, we don't have to remain in our local churches if things just get too difficult. Yeah, local's a key word there. At the cathedral where I was for a while, so that wasn't a local church in a sense. Most people didn't live in the city. But that became a reason for some people to leave. They said, we don't like the city. We don't like bringing our children here into the city. Um, we'd rather, and we can't invite the parents from uh, our children's school to come to church with us because, you know, why would they want to travel halfway across Sydney to come to the cathedral? So there are all kinds of reasons to leave. I heard a couple the other day, they both come from two different churches and they've just got married and they've decided to go to a new church together so they can start life that way rather than him going to her church or her going to his church. There are all kinds of reasons why personally people may choose to change church. 
I would encourage you to speak to the pastor when you do it. And I would encourage you to know that it doesn't matter how good the reason is, because you're becoming a missionary, you know, no matter how good the reason is, do understand that the pastor will be a little hurt by the process because if they've got any love in their heart for congregation members, for congregation members to say they're leaving is painful. Because relationships are what church are built on. And if sometimes it can be painful for, for bad reasons, of course, because they want your money and they want your contribution and it's about them building their empire and all kinds of things. But let's let's think about the positive side of it. For the most godly pastor who just loves you, it's painful to say goodbye. Yes, that's quite right. Well, there's my 10. And I think, I think as we've gone through them, it's highlighted, in a sense, what we were saying a little earlier, just how situational and personal this can be. There's all sorts of reasons why you might find yourself feeling dissatisfied or disengaged or unhappy in the church you're in. And working through some of the things we've talked through, thinking about what the nature of the issue is, thinking about yourself and doing some self-examination, and then behaving in a wise and gracious and godly way and working through it uh, is all important. I think your bias will always have you being the problem as the lowest. And so therefore you need to work against that bias and say, my first expectation is... That I'm, I'm the problem. I'm the problem. That's your first expectation. So maybe we should reorder these in in, uh, in some future edition when we write all this up brilliantly and, and put all the ones about me and am I the problem. Maybe they should come first. Uh, first and last, or maybe you head up to that as the high point, but you've got to make that the high point, however you do it. Thanks, Phil. That's very helpful. And I hope, dear listeners, you found this helpful as well as a discussion of this issue, both for yourself, if you're currently in a situation where you're struggling a bit in church and just feeling a bit browned off or not happy, or if you're trying to encourage and help others who are in this circumstance as well. Um, But how about we finish as we always do by praying? How about I pray? Good. You do that. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much that you call us into your congregation, into your great church of your people gathered around your throne, and that we have the privilege of gathering in local earthly manifestations of that week by week. And we thank you so much for the congregations you make us part of and call us into. And we thank you for the responsibilities we have with each other to love each other, care for and encourage each other, to teach each other. Uh, We thank you for those who you've given to lead and to have oversight and to teach in in our congregations as well. And in all of this, Father, as as we sometimes inevitably experience dissatisfaction or unhappiness of different kinds, whether externally because of what's happening in the congregation or whether it's because of what's happening in our own lives. Father, we pray that we'd work through those things in a godly way, with a repentant and trusting heart that trusts in you for forgiveness and that realises that we're a fellowship of sinners where there'll always be imperfection and always be repentance as a way of life. Father, help us to think these things through well and to behave in a godly way that we might give glory to you in the church in how we live and behave with one another. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.